I've listened to At Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and you you know him by name. You know him by voice. It's uh, it's Connor. Hello, I'm Connor. Good. I was hoping one of us would do that intro, and then I didn't do it, so really, you were our only hope. <laughs> well, this week, we're talking about the man in black himself, Johnny Cash, a country music and I guess just normal music legend. Yeah. Now, how familiar are you with Johnny Cash? It's, again, once again, we've stumbled upon an artist that's impossible that you have no background in Johnny Cash's music. Who's Johnny Cash? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. Uh, yeah, no, I'm big fan of Johnny Cash. Okay, so how much of this... This album is not a traditional album. This is a live album. And in fact, it's the first full live album that we've talked about, I think. So how much of this did you know going into it? You know, some of the bigger hits, obviously, but... Some of them are more obscure cuts. I think I know, like, at least 10, if not more, of these songs. Okay, 10 out of 16 is a pretty good ratio. I'm sure I've heard some of the other ones, too, and I'm just not as, wasn't as familiar with them. Sure. Well, since you asked, I'll tell you a little bit about who Johnny Cash is. In case you were curious, you know, that is kind of why you came to the podcast, I'm guessing. And, uh... This is going to be another episode where the man and the mythos far outweighs the significance of of the album in a lot of ways. So it's going to be another one that's a little out of whack time-wise. We'll we'll devote a little more time to talking about Cash and his story and, you know, other things than we will to all the tracks on this album. But I think it'll be a good one. I think you're in for a real treat. So without further ado, let's talk about J.R. Cash. That's right. His birth name was J.R. Cash. Not Johnny, not John, J.R. And he was born in Kingsland, Arkansas in 1932. Which, by the way, if you're keeping track, that's the second earliest birthday that we've covered, aside from Hank Williams in 1923. Uh, J.R. had lots of siblings. He was smack dab in the middle of seven kids. He had three older and three younger siblings. His youngest brother, Tommy Cash, would also go on to a successful career in country music. And if you're keeping track of the historical context around 1932... You've probably put together that Johnny Cash was a child of the Great Depression. His family lived on land that they would work and farm, with the goal being eventually to own that land. So his hardworking, humble beginnings are really a big piece of what taught him sympathy for the working class and the poor. So throughout all of his music, that's a really prevalent theme that he likes to stick to. His first experience is singing also came growing up as he was working in the fields with his family, and he was very, very heavily influenced by the gospel music that he learned from his mother. So influenced, in fact, that he would actually release some of her favorite songs in a collection that he called My Mother's Hymn Book. He started writing his own music at age 12, and, if you can believe it, he actually used to sing with a high tenor voice in those days. Really? Yeah, that's a surprising fact to me. He's famously a bass that deep, you know, ringing voice. I guess that wasn't always his thing. So in 1950... J.R. runs off to join the Air Force, and they didn't let him use J.R. as a proper military name. They said it couldn't be initials, so he decided to lengthen the J into John, and eventually that would get lengthened again into Johnny. So Johnny's not really short for Jonathan so much as it's long for J. I like that, long for J. (laughs) It's long for J. That's like, well, you know, my birth name was just C. Yeah, it wasn't? I didn't know that about you. That's not true, that's why. (laughs) Oh, you lived with the mixtaper for too long. He's once again rubbing off on you. I wouldn't be surprised if the mixtaper's real name was M, though. Maybe, and he just lengthened it to mixtaper because people were confused. He, he was born, uh, he was born, I don't know what his, what's the mixtaper's last name? I guess we don't know. Maybe his name was M Taper. He just added a mix. Uh, I'm just going to say MT. His name was just MT. He was born MT. And he lengthened it to mixtaper. Interesting, interesting bit of lore we've created. Well, that's enough about MT, the mixtaper. <laughs> Johnny Cash started his professional music career in 1954 in the burgeoning rockabilly scene in Memphis, Tennessee. So he walks in, he takes his gospel sound straight to Sam Phillips, who is the founder of the now legendary Sun Records. Sun Records, mind you, is legendary for being the studio that signed Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison, Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, and more. Sam Phillips himself actually has a prominent place in rock and roll history beyond that. He was the producer on the song Rocket 88 by Jackie Brenston and his Delta Cats, 
which is widely considered to be the first rock and roll song of all time. So, Sam Phillips, take notes. Anyway, Cash takes his gospel songs to Sam Phillips. Phillips, not impressed. The legend has it that he told Cash to go home and sin and then come back with a song I could sell. Like, get out of here with this gospel music. Go sin and come back. So he did. Cash signed to Sun Records and then released his first singles, Hey Porter and Cry Cry Cry, in 1955. And another footnote in this chapter of music history that we'd really be remiss not to talk about. It's one of the more notable moments in this whole era of music history, and it happened in 1956. The Million Dollar Quartet. Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis were in the studio, Sun Records studio, working on some songs. Johnny Cash was there just hanging out. And who shows up but Sun Recording Studios? Elvis Presley. Elvis himself shows up. They get together, and they just start jamming. They bust out four dozen different impromptu songs in various capacities you know some of them are just a few seconds but some of them get full covers and lucky for us cowboy jack clement the engineer decided to keep the tapes running so that exists now this million dollar quartet they have about four dozen songs that exist it's this these legends of early rock and roll music so go check that out if it's the thing that interests you it's it's really cool and the kind of like watershed moment that doesn't happen often and and nothing like it may ever happen again very cool but back to johnny he released Folsom Prison Blues and I Walk the Line and his first LP, which was called Johnny Cash with His Hot and Blue Guitar. And that was the first LP ever released on Sun Records, the very first full-length album from Sun. But he got tired of Sun. He felt stuck in his contract. So he decided to jump ship to Columbia Records, which would become his home for the majority of his 97-album, 1,500-plus song career. I mean, he's by far one of the most prolific recording artists that we've talked about yet. That's a huge catalog. <laughs> 97 albums. This podcast has been going for a year, talking about an album a week, and we're not even to number 44 yet. Cash started touring with the Carter family, who, if you're not up to speed on them, they're kind of country music's first family, quote-unquote, and they went on for several generations. Uh, June Carter started to take notice of, of Johnny. She would go on to be his second wife, and obviously... They collaborated very often in the years that followed, even on this live album. It was in this era where Cash really started heavily using amphetamines, which was a habit that would plague him for the rest of his life. At some point in the mid-60s, he made the shift from kind of more rockabilly and like traditional country, the gospel style influenced stuff. He made the shift into a more outlaw country sound. You'll often find him in conversation with other acts like Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson. That quartet would go on to be known as the Highwaymen, and they would put out three albums together in the 80s. Very exciting. I love all those. It's, it's all so cool, all these collaborations. But that outlaw country era is where we find at Folsom Prison. Cash's career, well, we'll talk more about the album in a minute, but just like, let's Get to the end of Cash's career, and then we'll circle on back to Folsom Prison. So Cash's career kind of starts to fade really fast in the late 80s. He manages to find a home with a hip-hop label, Deaf American, or American Recordings, founded by Rick Rubin, who's actually more commonly associated with Public Enemy, The Beastie Boys, Run DMC, etc., etc. People you would never think about Johnny Cash in the same conversation as. But signing with American Recordings with Rick Rubin really rejuvenated his career. And he was able to put out several more albums in his later years. Those later years were also a bit tumultuous. Cash was diagnosed with Shy Drager Syndrome in 1997, which is a multiple system atrophy. And uh, I mean, there were a couple other prognoses and diagnoses that happened that I think ultimately proved that wasn't what ended his life. But I mean, still significant to worry about going through that and try and deal with it. He put out 60 songs in the last four months of his life, as it was June Carter Cash's final request that he keep working after she passed away in May of 2003. Yeah, they passed away pretty close to one another, right? They did, yeah. She passed in May, and then on September 12th, 2003, at the age of 71, Johnny Cash also passed away due to complications from diabetes. Mm -hmm. So that's his story. That's, that's the overall arc of Johnny Cash. Now... <laughs> Are you ready to hear about his impact and some of the awards he's won? Oh, let's do it. Buckle up. Break the straps back, Al. It's time to strap in. So Cash has won 18 Grammys, nine Country Music Association Awards, four American Country Music Awards, four Academy of Country Music Awards, and so much more. He got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1976. In 1980, 
he became the youngest living inductee into the Country Music Hall of Fame. At the time, he called that his greatest professional achievement. He's also in five other Halls of Fame, including the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Gospel Music Hall of Fame, and the Memphis Music Hall of Fame. And he's even in the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. So he, he really got around to everything. He earned the Kennedy Center Honors in 1996 and the National Medal of Arts in 2001. And his cover of the song Hurt was nominated for six VMA Awards, making him the oldest artist ever nominated for an MTV Video Music Award. So he's the oldest in that regard, but the youngest in the Country Music Hall of Fame. I mean, talk about career spanning. That's that's about as spanned as you can get. Yeah. So now is the point where we'll circle back to 1968 in his outlaw days. This is when we get at Folsom Prison. It came out on May 6, 1968, and it was recorded over the course of two performances in January of that year at the Folsom State Prison in California. This is Johnny Cash's first live album, so I guess it's fitting that it's our first live album too. Yeah. And this was the first of four prison concert albums for him. Another really popular one is At San Quentin, his 1969 follow-up to this one. Mm -hmm. Now this album was preceded by 19 studio albums. Already a hefty career, but this one's number 20 for Johnny. It hit number one on the country charts and number 15 overall. Folsom Prison Blues was Johnny Cash's first top 50 hit in four years. The album also went to number seven in Norway. And this is a fact that I didn't know until I started looking up this podcast. Cash would actually tour in Scandinavia and put out another live album recorded in a Swedish prison. That was news to me. At Folsom Prison won Cash the 1968 Album of the Year CMA Award and a Best Album Notes Grammy. By the time Cash passed away in 2003, At Folsom Prison went triple platinum with more than 3 million copies sold in the United States. So that's a lot of information. <laughs> but suffice to say, Cash is a legend in this album. I mean, it's kind of the first of its kind that really kickstarted a trend for him and for country music in general. I mean, it's kind of a landmark album. Yeah, it is. So, I believe it's time to get into some Factor Spin. Is is MT ready? Hey, it's me, MT. MT. Thank you. Yeah, hi, MT. Uh, it sounds like empty. It's like a homonym. It's because I'm empty. Beneath this mask, I'm an empty shell of a mixtaper. That's so sad. Wow. Uh, I'm feeling the melancholy blues from from Johnny Cash. Guess so, as you should. I mean, he's got he's got a real knack for that. You know, not that you know, I'm I'm obviously the greatest supervillain ever to live, but in obviously. the crazy uh you know alternate reality that captain spin were to capture me and put me away from my dastardly deeds uh this would be like my go-to album while i was behind bars you know yeah nothing quite like listening to an album about being in prison while you're in prison yeah just like there's nothing like playing some factor spin when you're on an episode of spin it there's honestly yeah nothing nothing quite equates nothing compares and let's jump right into it let's do it he was once arrested for picking flowers Out, outlaw country musician johnny cash was arrested for picking flowers what kind of flowers illegal flowers uh i guess you got arrested for him um, well, so it's no secret that Johnny Cash was arrested seven times. No, yeah, common knowledge. Um, common knowledge. But this specific time was in May of 1965 after a performance at Mississippi State University. Ooh, he picked college flowers. Yeah, the police found him wandering around the town of Starkville and arrested him for public drunkenness. Oh, oh, okay, okay. No, he didn't get arrested for picking flowers. He got arrested for being drunk in public. Well, no, he, he claims that he was only picking flowers and they had no right to arrest him. Yeah, okay. And I believe it, actually. In fact, he proclaimed this so heavily that he did it by banging and screaming around his jail cell all night and kicking his cell door until he eventually broke his big toe. He broke his, oh my gosh, he broke his big toe because he was unjustly arrested for picking flowers. So he claims. Yeah, sure, as the story goes. How long was his sentence? When did he get out? Uh, the next morning. <laughs> oh, really worth breaking your toe over there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the incident, you know, inspired the song Starkville City Jail. Oh, cool. I love when that happens. You know, Tom T. Hall had a similar thing with Weekend in a County Jail. I just like that. It's something about when a song like that comes from personal experience. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, therefore that song inspired the city of Starkville in 2007 to hold the first annual Johnny Cash Flower Pickin Festival. There's a festival? Well, not 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 anymore. I looked up to see if it was still happening and the Johnny Cash Flower Pickin Festival 
Facebook page has been pretty inactive. It's probably because everyone that went and celebrated it in the first year got arrested. <laughs> For, yeah. the, the police were like, oh, let's go to town. <laughs> no good flower pickers. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know about all that because at the 2008 you know, uh, festival, they gave Johnny Cash an official pardon for the incident. Oh, well, that's that's w- wonderful. Too little, too late, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, right? At the ceremony, uh, the, spe- the, the police chief or whatever who was speaking said that Johnny Cash was arrested in seven different places, but he only wrote a song about one of those places. That was us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very interesting. I think this is probably a fact. I mean, we've talked about how he struggled with some, you know, drug and alcohol problems. And, uh, of course, the story he tells is that he was picking flowers. But, yeah, everything else seems to line up. I I know about that song. And, yeah, I would go ahead and say this is probably a fact. You had a lot of details about the festival. Seems legit. This is a fact. You nailed it. Okay, I figured if it was a spin... You would have either said the festival was ongoing or not made it up at all. Fair enough. Maybe I should have done that. Should have turned it into a spin. <laughs> that, that would have been mean. Rude. It would, have, it would have been dastardly. That's why I tried not to show my hand before uh, just locking in an answer. I didn't want to give you a chance to do that. Well, we'll see how you deal on fact number two. He was a code breaker. A, a code breaker. Interesting title. Okay. So when you say code breaker, my mind instantly goes to like World War Two. you know, which is not out of the realm of his lifetime but like uh like like the military was this part of his time in the military this was indeed part of his time at the military okay um what codes did he break well, well first let's rewind what does a code breaker do like uh, are they intercepting comms from foreign powers or other military leaders what's going on he would inter- he would receive and decipher morse code radio transmissions from soviet union aircrafts oh uh that's intense. Yeah. This was in the 1950s while he was in the Air Force, where he spent three years in Landsberg, West Germany. Oh, I didn't know that he was in West Germany. Um, wild. Okay, did he did he break any codes? Was he good at it? Oh, boy, did he. He was quite good at it, rising all the way to the rank of, like, special sergeant or something like that. I didn't write that detail down, but I know he got promoted several times very quickly in those three years. Very interesting. And then he was honorably discharged when his time in the service ended in the mid-50s. So, do you know why he left the Air Force? I never looked into it. I actually don't know. I I didn't look into it either. There's one very significant intercepted Morse code transmission that he deciphered. Okay, this feels like the the real sticking point of the fact. The, the, The real sticking point of the fact, yes. Yeah, I was thinking very true, very true, and now this might turn it into a spin. He was the person who intercepted and transcribed a Soviet communication stating that Soviet premier leader Joseph Stalin had died. No making way. Making him the first American to know of the death. No way. Johnny Cash was the first American to know that Stalin died? That's what I'm telling you. What an incredible, like, once, once ever classification to have. Oh, that's tough. That's you probably just what I'm guessing you baited me with all that true stuff, that easy true stuff. And I'm guessing you just this is a bold faced lie. You just made it up. But I'm going to have to say that everything is a fact anyway. Oh, going fact, even though you think I'm just lying straight to your face. I feel like you could have very easily made up the Stalin thing. How many code breakers were there in the military in the in the 50s like that? How would I know? I'm sure tons. Tons. Yeah, so what are the odds that it would be J.R. Cash that would that would intercept that one? What are the odds indeed? But you're still going fact. You're locking that in? Yeah. All right. This is a fact. This is a fact? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Johnny Cash, first American to know of Stalin's death. That's incredible. He couldn't talk about it till, you know, years later, really late in his life. You know, I think maybe he talked about it in one of his books, things like that, because of all the classified stuff that goes on with the military. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Probably. I mean, something like that's a big deal. Uh, Also, a couple more fun facts about his time as a code breaker. This was when he bought his first guitar for $5 and established his first ever band called the Landberg Bavarian. Wow. It's also when he watched the documentary Inside Folsom Prison that you know, inspired the album we're talking about. Yeah, I knew he he had kept eyes on that in the military. I didn't realize it was... It was during his time in Landsberg, West Germany, learn, you know, breaking codes, learning about Stalin's death. Interesting. Who knew? Who knew indeed? Here's another kind of who knew fact for you. He has a species of tarantula named after him. Oh, the Umaguma tarantula? (laughs) 
<laughs> Why would that be oddly coincidental and not really apply to Johnny Cash, but sure. No, that's a callback to our episode on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. A, a tarantula. Is the tarantula named the Johnny Cash tarantula? What's the deal? <laughs> uh, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this. Please, by all means. It is called the Athonapelma Johnny Cashy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah? Yes, and Johnny Cashy, all one word, it's his name, but at the end of the word cash, they just stick an eye on the end. So it's the Afonapelma Johnny Cashy. Interesting. Very interesting. What's the spider do or have that's distinct about it from other species of tarantula? Mm, Well, it is completely covered in black hair, which reminded the scientists of the man in black himself. Uh, And then they found it near Folsom State Prison. No way. I mean, that's for you to determine. Yeah, (laughs) I shouldn't say that. Um, So when was this discovered? 2016. Oh, oh, very recently then. Mm -hmm. Mm, I'm a skeptic. I'm a skeptic on this one. You were a skeptic on the last one, too, but you still went with fact and ended up being right. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Uh, What are the stats on this tarantula? How big is it? The spider can be up to six inches long. What? The male of the species is black, and the female is a dark brown. That's so long. From, like, leg tip to leg tip? That's my assumption, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know how tarantulas are measured. This is a spin this is a spin i'm locking in spin real spider not named johnny cashy oh so you think this is a real spider it's just not named johnny cashy yes well this is a fact this is a fact this this is a fact there's a picture of the johnny cashy in chat for you the male version, at least. Oh, it's huge. How? Wow. How do you not discover it till 2016? Uh, it looks like I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. It looks like it was technically discovered in 2015, but not named until 2016. That makes me, uh, yes, so much better. That's, that's, if you would have said that, I would have got it right. <laughs> oh, obviously. <laughs> Very interesting. The Johnny Cashy spider. Has science given up? Has science just given up? First with the Umaguma sex fly, now with the Johnny Cashy spider. Are we out of scientific names? I wonder if the Johnny Cashy spiders eat the Umaguma sex flies. Only one way to find out. <laughs> Listen to next week's episode of Spin It Podcast. Anyway, uh, this is we're about to pull a Michael Jackson here and go down a road of animal-related facts. Oh, crap. We already... What do you think a spider is? I know, that's what I said. This is this was the start. Oh, it was the first. Ugh, you just let me have that one before painting me with the knowledge that more are coming. Uh, my next one for you. He once released a bunch of chickens into a hotel. Okay. <laughs> Define, first of all, a bunch of chickens. Ah, uh, 500. That's a bunch of chickens. <laughs> That's so many chickens. I told you, it was a bunch of chickens. Why did he have 500 chickens, and why would he release them in a hotel? Uh, because he bought them, and because he thought it'd be funny. I'm sure it was hilarious for the innocent observer, but, you know, screw the Motel 6 employee who has to deal with that. <laughs> So this was in a hotel in Omaha, Nebraska. He and the Tennessee Three decided to go buy 500 baby chickens from a local hatchery and release them inside. All right. Purchased 500 baby chickens, little chicks. They turn them loose in the hotel room. They have a good laugh about it. Not in the hotel room, in the hotel. In the halls and stuff. Yeah, well, they did. He's a very diligent prankster. He didn't just release them all in the room or in the lobby. He specifically put 100 of them on each of the five floors of the hotel. Crap. Oh, that'd be awful. So you you get your chickens. You buy your chicks. You release them on the floors of the hotel. You, You have your laughs, you know, have a good chuckle out of it. Then what? You own 500 baby chickens. Do you sell them back? Oh, no, they left. Oh, they they, they bought them and abandoned them. Yeah, abandoned some baby chicks in a hotel. The staff were not happy, obviously. No, I can't imagine. So how does the story end? What's uh, What happens to the chicks? What happens to the hotel staff? Does Johnny confess to this? Is this one in a book? How do we know about it? Well, I assume he's confessed to it, but as to what happened to the ch- baby chicks... Who's to say? But uh, get the get the spin it mystery department on it. <laughs> Call this one the case of the missing chicks. This is bizarre, and I have no idea which way to lean on this. I'm gonna say this is a spin. A spin. I'm gonna say this is a spin. I know he was a bit of a troublemaker, a bit of an arrested seven times type, but I don't I don't know. 
if you're the local hatchery guy, are you really selling 500 chickens to every <laughs> every average Joe that walks in with a wad of cash? I mean, I guess you would, but wouldn't you be suspicious? I'm saying spin, because I, I can't let you have made this up. This one, this one is a safety spin. A safety spin. Yes, I think so. This is a fact. Oh, crap. That was my biggest fear. Yeah, this is a true fact. I just looked up what the cost of a baby chicken would have been in the 19, late 1950s. Dang it, yeah. Couldn't quite find that information. Oh, thank goodness. In, uh, in 2022, you can apparently buy a baby chicken for between 3 and $5, which I just went in 1958 since it said late 1950s, would have been about 30 cents for a baby chicken. So for 500 of them, that would have been $150. I'm, I'm a little bit floored by that one. Which would be like spending like... $1,500 today on baby chickens just to release them in a hotel. <laughs> yeah, it would be, but kind of worth it, isn't it? Look at the story he got out of it. Sounds like we need to go buy some baby chickens. It sounds like we don't. Oh, <laughs> I thought that's where we were going with that. You said, you mean, you were like, it kind of worth it. So I thought you were kind of leaning into it. My bad. I misread that one. I mean, worth it for him. He got away with it. We'll do baby pigeons since we're uh, pigeon stands on this podcast. Are we? You are. Anyway. Anyway, my next animal related fact, this is... This was not the end of his avian adventures, all right? I guess not. We're going longer than the, the Classic Four this week, by the way. Sorry for all you fans of the Classic Four. We're further mixing it up. Oh, yes. Sorry. Well, the Classic Four is going to be Classic something else this week. We don't know how many yet. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the fun. Oh. His next avian adventure was he almost caused the extinction of a species. Which species? Uh, the, Ca uh, the California condor. Oh, that's... Wow, a, a biggie. Yeah, a big endangered species. Okay, what's his relationship to the condor? Uh, did he just, was he out condor hunting or, I don't know, what's the deal? Did he poison their water supply? What happened? Well, how do you almost extinct a species? Uh, by burning down a national forest. Oh. Yes, in the 1960s, he drove his party truck to the Los Casitas National Forest where it overheated and caught fire, which spread to the forest, scorching hundreds of acres, destroying foliage on three mountains, and killing 49 of the area's 53 endangered California condors. Holy crap, that's most of them if you were keeping track. How does your camper overheat? I don't know. <laughs> I could not find that information. Apparently neither did he, or he would have saved a lot of trouble. So did he get charged for this? He was sued by the United States government for the destruction of the forest. He claims he, he at the time, you know, in an interview, he stated, he's like, I must be the only person alive ever to be sued by the federal government for burning down some trees. I doubt it. He was very, uh, he didn't seem to really care too much about this happening. He also, when asked about the condors specifically, he stated, I don't care about your damn yellow buzzards. How, what'd they do to rebound the condors? I mean, they've obviously bounced back at least a little bit. Do I look like a condor specialist to you? You look like a condor specialist because your roommate's with him. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. I think this one's a fact. I think this one's a fact. This is a fact. Boom. Take that, uh... I was going to say take that condors, but don't take that. It's quite a sad fact. Yeah, it is. I think, I think the fact that he accidentally burned down a giant forest was significant enough to talk about. So we talked about it. Up next, and surprise, surprise, my last fact for you. We've hit the end of the road when it comes to our avian adventures. And that's that after nearly wiping out an entire species of birds by himself, it was only natural that the birds took an opportunity to strike back, right? You know, get revenge. Get revenge. Yeah, of course, as most birds do. And so you could call this Johnny Cash 5, the ostriches strike back. The ostriches strike back. He once got in a fight with an ostrich. Yeah, that's my fact. Wow. Okay. So what did he do to this ostrich to get it riled up? Beat it with a stick. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, when you fight an ostrich, what's your best strategy? It's big. It's fast. Do I look like an ostrich fighting expert? No, uh, but I just <laughs> thought you might have an idea. Well, I do know that ostriches are sometimes referred to as the modern day velociraptor, so it can't be easy. No, the modern day velociraptor? Because of how they run and their size and their claw, the way their claws on their, their talons are. So basically, a little background real fast before you ask your next question is that he raised ostriches on his property. And as was the practice at the time, to train and herd them, you beat them with sticks. Oh, okay. This was a standard practice. Standard enough, at least. Standard enough. Yeah, sure. Um, 
Um, I, I don't know what else to ask. What happened? Did the ostrich win? Oh, you could say so. One of the ostriches, who didn't quite care for the stick beating, responded by kicking Cash with his giant clawed foot. Oh my gosh. And the wound opened up Cash's midsection, causing him to have to hold his own insides until he could get to a hospital. Basically gorged him, you know, his midsection. Oh my gosh. Giant gaping hole, bleeding bleeding profusely. That's the worst way to bleed. You could say that the ostrich won. Yeah, I would say that the ostrich probably won. He almost died from this incident. Like that's the the ostrich almost Took out Johnny Cash. Wow, what a way to go. Um, I think I think I'm gonna say that this one's also true. He seems like he is a fellow with reckless disregard, apparently, as we've proven for avian life. And if that's what you did to Austria, I mean, if you hit anything with a stick, it's probably gonna not be too happy. So uh yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this is maybe true. This is a fact. Wow, remind me to never smack an ostrich. <laughs> I honestly, it only makes sense because it's called a fight or flight response. And you know what ostriches can't do? <laughs> so it's only logical. For those of you playing along at home, yes, this was an all fact week. This was an all fact week. And uh, it was the, the unclassic six. It was the classic four. You know, I, you know, I rub off on Connor sometimes. And now Connor's running off, rubbing off on me when it comes to like keeping track of numbers. Yep, that's, uh, I, I did that one last week. It's just you know Connor has his classic three, his top three that ends up being four and sometimes eight. <laughs> so apparently two last week. No numbers. There's a reason we have a math department of squirrels on this podcast. All right. Yeah. And with that, I guess you got 16 tracks to talk about. So I need to get on out of here. Yes, you do. I'll see you next week for another episode. Fact or spec. Yeah. Goodbye, goodbye, Mr. Mixtaper. And welcome back, Connor. His name's MT. MT. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just I just lengthened it. <laughs> the artist formerly known as uh, MT, also known as the Mixtaper. The album art on this album is not much. It's a picture of Johnny Cash's face. I say we have 16 tracks to talk about. Without further ado, we should probably hop right in. Well, hang on. Oh. Please, if you have something to interject. I just have one comment about the album art. Yeah, what's that? What a weird angle. It is a very awkward angle. His face is like from down looking up. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. He's Yeah, it's at like a 45 degree angle, both horizontally, horizontally and vertically. So you're looking up diagonally at him and he's looking down at you while singing into a microphone. Yeah, it's... But yeah, that's all I have about the album art. Weird angle. Next. Weird angle. Next. Well, next up, I have a fun little mini game for you. Ah. That's right. Uh, it's another little it's another little fact-based game. Somebody that we have talked about on this podcast, I mean, now excluding Johnny Cash, somebody we've talked about on this podcast has done time in Folsom Prison. Any guesses who? Someone we've talked about on this podcast, not necessarily an artist. No, some yeah, someone we've talked about on this podcast has done time, criminal time in Folsom Prison. My best guess here would have to... To be Charles Manson. Okay, well. That we talked about on the Beach Boys episode. He's a criminal. He is a criminal and he is a former inmate of Folsom Prison. Oh, did, did, did I ruin your little game? I'm sorry. You No, you didn't ruin it. You just won it. Which is ruining it for you. Well, yes. Former Beach Boys roommate Charles Manson. All right, game over. Anyway. <laughs> Next. <laughs> the first track on this live album is Folsom Prison Blues, of course. Because where else? Is there a more appropriate song to open the set with? I don't don't think so of course he starts the album as we alluded to at the beginning of the episode with his famous hello i'm johnny cash which he used to start all of his concerts the warden and the the people that were you know kind of directing this recording they actually instructed the crowd to not cheer until right after he had done the introduction like that so that it would sound good on the tape nice yeah it's iconic so Folsom prison blues is a Cash original. Cash wrote this song and it was based on his time in the army, like we said in that film by Crane Wilbur about Folsom Prison, the documentary. The song's about a prisoner who dreams of being free. It's the quintessential jail and train song. <laughs> we've had a couple and we've talked about how iconic they are. Well, this is the one. Yes. And I love the storytelling arc on this song. It's great. You know, he, he starts out with the situation. I see the train. I'm stuck in Folsom prison. And then we get the flashback. When I was a baby, my mama told me be a good boy. But then we see the crime. He shoots a man in Reno. And then we get another verse. Verse four finally takes us to this future with the dream of being free, how he would be far from Folsom prison and let the lonesome whistle blow his blues away. What a great storytelling structure. That's what really shines about just Johnny Cash songs 
Um, they all got kind of the same style to them that makes them a bit samey sometimes, but the stories he tells within them are just so engaging and descriptive. It's just another one of those great examples of how to write lyric. I love his voice. His low register is like famously good, and we probably don't need to gush over it throughout this album, but let's just, you know... Say it at the top. What a what a voice. What a singer. I might gush one more two more times. Please, I mean gush is, gush freely, but I just thought we'd put it out there at the start. I might be gushing like Johnny Cash's abdomen wound after being kicked by an ostrich. Wow. Oh, an ostrich kick gush. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty intense. A profuse gush. The next song that he goes into is called Dark as a Dungeon. The original version of the song is from 1946 by Merle Travis. Yeah, and it's a waltz. It is, yeah, it's a waltz. And Merle Travis grew up around Kentucky coal mines, so this song is based on his personal experience. But, I mean, to be Johnny Cash and to follow up Folsom Prison Blues with this, to sing this in a prison, uh, it kind of really amplifies the meaning of it, and it kind of shifts the perspective away from being in a coal mine to a metaphor for it being, you know, in prison. You're, you're literally in a prison. And it's dark as a dungeon. Well, I mean, coal, coal mines were kind of like prison. Oh, yeah. And Cash's performance of this song really is what kind of put it on the map. And it kind of holds its waltz tempo, even in Cash's version. You can kind of hear the instruments in the background, so kind of following the waltz. Yeah, it's slowed down and maybe a little more free. It's not as tight on the tempo. But the bass, the, you know, the building blocks from the waltz are still present. Absolutely. And man, what a line, right? One of my favorite lines uh, on the album is, then I'll look from the door of my heavenly home and pity the miner digging my bones. Digging up bones, just like Randy Travis. I don't know, just that line, it's just written so well. And where... It, he hits you with it in the song. Uh, it's just so good. The, the the imagery of the miner digging bone, digging up bones, because you've gotten all you got all this imagery from the rest of the song about how dark and dreary, and you know your your blood runs black as cold, like all this imagery, and then to make kind of. But it's always been about the miner uh, mining coal until that point where he hits you with the now you. The coal he's digging up bones and like you said with the prison kind of metaphors really good really really good and we move out of dark as the dungeon into i still miss someone and of course before he starts singing we get a little bit of a of an impromptu interlude as a live album there are a couple of these different audible interjections of dialogue and, and announcements and just normal you know prison and concert things but i love this one here where he tells the audience that this is being recorded for a concert so they can't say bleep there's a big sensor bleep. Yeah. It's hilarious. And it shows his sense of humor that we probably wouldn't get as clear of a sense of on a studio album, which is, it's kind of the charm of this live album and a lot of other Cash Live projects. What I noticed about I Still Miss Someone is he talks a lot about this metaphor of the leaves falling and you're missing somebody. And it reminded me of your song from Barry Manilow, Where Do I Go From Here?, where there's the leaf piles in the autumn and the cold. I was like, whoa, it's the same song from 30, 40 years beforehand. It's a short song. It's all of a minute and a half, but he manages to slip in some great lyrics. Verse four, I mean, what a stinger. He says, I wonder if she's sorry for leaving what we'd begun. There's still someone for me somewhere, and I still miss someone. I like that. I like that a lot because it undercuts this hopeful projection on the future with just being stuck on someone in the past. It's incredible. Now, what did you think about Cocaine Blues? Is that one you knew before listening to the album? Yes. Yes. It's it's one of my favorites from this record. It's a really good one. It's upbeat, and it's... I mean, the story it tells is it captivates you. This was the one. This was the one that you know. I'm gonna start gushing again about his ability to write a story. Like you know, my number one complaint. Like if you had to boil down my, if you had to, you know, if you were to bet on my opinion of a podcast, making a bet that I was gonna complain about a song being too repetitive and too just catchy, earwormy sounding, and not really focusing on what the song's about is a safe bet. And so, an album like this and an artist like this, where just every song is just a unique story that dives real deep into the story. Uh, and, you know, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's the perfect album for me. Good job, Johnny Cash. You got my stamp of... You, you got my stamp of approval. Now that you've stamped your approval of Johnny Cash on this, I should tell you the song's derived from an old folk song that was transcribed in 1922 called Bad Lee Brown. Don't care. Johnny Cash is the only version I know. Yeah. He gets all the credit. He gets all the credit. Fantastic. All the Connor credit. This song, I also believe, is the first documented use of the now popular phrase, bad Oh. Yeah, who knew, right? <laughs> Who would have guessed? I love the up-tempo pluckiness of this one, and it's just it's just so interesting to pair it with this unremorseful convict. 
It, it plays so well to that dynamic. And the moral of the song, of course, is lay off the whiskey and let that cocaine be. Ahead of its time, really, in 1922. It ends with some prison announcements being made, just as we've seen some other times on this album. Just, you know, more little reminders of, of where we are and what's going on. He finishes the song, and one of the prisoners yells, Is that gonna be on the album? And he says, Yeah. And the warden goes, I doubt that. It's just so funny to me. But I think Cocaine Blues is a song that pairs really, really well with 25 Minutes to Go. Oh, I love 25 Minutes to Go. Yeah, me too. Such a clever, cool concept. It is. It's another marvel of storytelling so cocaine blues is about the crime right the man shoots his woman down 25 minutes to go as a convict on death row counting down the minutes about to be hanged and he progressively tells the story by saying oh you know i'm i'm sitting here feeling this there's 25 minutes to go now this is happening there's 24 minutes yeah each line counts down a minute and you get a little one line description of what's happening during that minute until eventually swinging yeah yeah it's it's so quick. It's so quick, but it's still a three minute and 37 second song. Yes, it goes by in the blink of an eye, as as it would if you were actually sitting waiting to be executed. Right? It, like, it goes, it felt like it went by faster than I still miss someone, but it's twice as long. <laughs> yeah, there's still some humor buried in here too. The mayor is out to lunch, so he can't pardon the man. He spits in the jailer's eye, you know, with this little last bit of defiance. And I like the way that the music is actually a little stagnant. You know, we get minimal melodic movement and it keeps us anxious and counting down with him. And we never get to minute zero because suddenly he's swinging. That's minute zero. And there he goes. I love that so much. It's so good. Next up, we get another train song in Orange Blossom Special. Harmonica. Harmonica, indeed. I love the part in the middle, too. So, you know, harmonica's as an instrument, they're all tuned to certain keys. When you play in a key, you get a certain harmonica for that key. When you switch keys, you need a different harmonica. They're not like a universally tuned instrument. And in the middle of the song, he has to switch harmonicas. And he comments on it. He says, have to change harmonicas faster than kiss a duck. And I, what an expression, you know? It's not a thing you say. But I love the song. The idea is you get on a train, you head out of town, you're hoping to make a better life and lose all the blues of where you're coming from. Pretty great. And as often happens in train songs, we get some really, really fun rhythms where the snare drum comes in and he says i don't care if i do die do die do die do die do die do like it's just this really bizarre vocal moment where the rhythms all kind of go to heck and it sounds like a train chugging along down the tracks really interesting uh now i yeah i don't really have much notes other than harmonica now have you ever heard the song long black veil before um i don't know this was one that when i saw the title i didn't recognize the title but then i heard the song and i was kind of like this seems like a song i know yeah it might be it might very well be yeah i just think i didn't recognize the title it's a classic classic song by country pioneer Lefty Frizzell, competitor, as we've talked about, of Hank Williams. Oh. Since his time, it's become a country music staple, covered by greats, including, obviously, Johnny Cash, but also the band, David Allen Coe, Bruce Springsteen, Mick Jagger, the Black Crows, Jerry Garcia, and Phil Lesh of the Grateful Dead. Everyone's covered this song, so... Long Black Veil is a good one to familiarize yourself with. Good one to know. It's another one that just sucks you into the story that he's telling. It's It tells the story of a man who's convicted of a crime, a murder, and he's, you know, testifying, and they say, what's your alibi? You know, if you have an alibi, we won't kill you. But he can't tell his alibi because he was committing adultery with the wife of his best friend. Pretty clever and just so out of left field. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it's such a unique story. And of course, uh, the mistress mourns for him by wearing a long black veil is where we get the title. Mm -hmm. I love at the end of this too, he jokes about what they put in the water, whether it's the runoff from the boots that march all around. <laughs> he says it's not very good. The next song, Send a Picture of Mother, is so heartfelt, very touching. It maybe is one of the best examples of like, if you were like, what's an example of Johnny Cash's melancholy style? Like this one personifies melancholy almost the best. Oh, 100%. 100%. The speaker is in jail with a friend who he quote unquote loves like a brother. And he's telling his friend who's about to be released. He says, meet up with my family. You know, we've been in this jail together for seven years. I want you to go get in touch with my folks. And uh, the whole reason that the speaker isn't getting out is because he's failed his escape attempt. And so he's received a longer sentence. In fact, a sentence that's so long, he's not leaving. He, he tells this friend tell them i'll be coming soon don't tell them i won't ever get out yeah like lie to them lie to them and make them feel good little hope shake my dad's hand and you know if you can't get one send a picture of my mother very touching and sad melancholy as you said great adjective and this is another instance where he puts these songs i think in about the perfect order because we get this song about a failed prison escapee and we move straight into the wall 
which is another song about a prison escape. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a whole different perspective on the jailbreak attempt. The speaker sings about that one weirdo who keeps staring at the wall, hoping to get out in a way that nobody could. He says, you know, I'm gonna be the first. I'm gonna be the first one to make it over the wall and, and be free. But Cash says, There's no doubt they'll carry you out if you ever touch that wall. Like you're going down if you make a run for it. Yeah. And it's another interesting moment where they play with time a lot. The song jumps you forward a few years ahead, and we find out that everything came to pass. The man actually made his escape attempt, and uh, to conclude the story, we never we never explicitly find out what happened exactly, you know, in so many words, but Cash says, there's never been a man who shook this can, but I know a man who tried. The newspapers called it a jailbreak plan, but I know it was suicide. It's pretty, that's pretty poignant, you know? The man had no realistic expectations of getting out, but he was just done, and so he called it. That was the way he decided to go out. And then he introduces us to this next section of love songs, as he calls it, Sorry Starting off with the classic love song, Dirty Old Egg Sucking Dog. <laughs> it's so what a title. I love it. It's such a funny song. It's a funny song. This is just a lighthearted song about his ugly egg sucking chicken killing dog. <laughs> Another avian adventure reference right there. Chicken killing. Chicken killing. Yeah, but he doesn't want the dog to kill the chickens. He's nicer to chickens than he is to condors. Well, yeah, he's trying to give him a nice fancy new home and a hotel rather than, you know, a, a slaughter factory. So A slaughter, yeah. That's the, what... Man, I hate the chicken slaughter factories. But but he's also about as mean as this dog as he was to that ostrich. He's not very nice to it. Yeah, well, it's a funny song. Like, the, the concept of the song, calling your dog dirty old egg sucking. <laughs> you know? like yeah. that's hilarious but it's actually like, again his having to put it down and everything quite sad actually it is it is all because he wanted to suck on some eggs no he didn't want to suck no he wasn't gonna well as i said the dog the dog got put down because all oh, he wanted the to dog. do was suck I, on some eggs i thought you meant johnny cash killed the dog because he wanted to suck on the eggs and the dog was <laughs> in the way and i was like no what he was an egg sucking johnny cash <laughs> yeah something like that so yeah yeah he introduces the love songs and, and starts with this jokey song jokey song starts off off the love song section but let's get on to the real love songs now such as flushed from the bathroom of your heart the second half of the album it's interesting because he starts to do some kind of one-off stylistic choices yeah some things that are a little out of place for a bit yeah but yeah i think because they're still done in that like johnny cash tone and like musical style and with how cohesive this album is it's almost like they're like little breaths of fresh air yeah just a little moment away they don't they stand out as unique but like in a good way it's like this one is just it's just a line after line of metaphor after metaphor after metaphor rather than a more cohesive story yeah we do go through the section and again it's another way that he kind of infuses his humor into his live shows by putting you know all these songs about egg-sucking dogs in the middle of songs about people getting shot as they try to escape from prison. It's a very weird whiplash that we get going on. But you're right, it is a breath of fresh air. We go through all these places that he's been removed. Some are definitely weirder than others. We conclude each string of metaphors, you know, with being flushed from the bathroom of your heart. Very obvious, you know, I'm a piece of crap. <laughs> illusion which one of these is your favorite metaphors oh that's so hard to pick it's hard to pick i know i think it's a toss-up between the garbage disposal is pretty good <laughs> yeah that one goes off on a weird rhythm even because garbage disposal doesn't fit the syllable count i also like the elevator one just because he says i've been shafted which is a clever pun yeah it is uh so yeah it's a toss-up between the clever pun of elevator shaft and the funky rhythm of good garbage disposal yeah those are kind of the ones that i was going for as well it's also one of the few times he's repeated himself like with a chorus you know yeah that's true a lot of these songs are strictly verses 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 which i love you know me i'm a verse guy <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah it was interesting to see a, a an actual chorus pop up yeah it was, it was a good change it's a great change it's great it's great now with jackson we finally get a love song or not that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might think it is at first i actually i like jackson like it has that like classic old country song guitar rhythm the bum 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 yeah that like the guitar does in the background like that's such a classic sound <laughs> it really is and he's singing on this song with june carter like we talked about you know the descendant of country's first family and his wife until her death so yeah the classic country sound makes sense because June Carter kind of is in the family that invented it. They sing this song about getting married in a fever. 
but then suddenly uh, things start to go awry. You know, he goes to Jackson and makes a fool of himself, and and they just they just tear up the city. They, they snowball it. I don't, I don't quite know what that means. They snowball Jackson. They don't care though, or at least, well, we're supposed to see if they care. I don't know. Do they care? I yeah. It's usually when someone says, "See if I care." Yes, they care. Just for future, that's a life advice from Spinet. They probably care. <laughs> I like the next song too. It's kind of got reminiscent tones of Send a Picture of Mother in that it's a bit of a last word song. Give My Love to Rosa is an actual love song. Finally. Yeah, finally we get a love song. We finally get there. <laughs> but it's told from a different perspective than what you might expect from a prison album. Well, I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I feel like in like if you were like, okay, we need a, we're got a song. It's all about prison. We need a love song. You'd think it'd be from the point of view of someone stuck in prison, but it's not. It's about meeting a guy on on the railroad tracks who's about to die, who got let out of prison, and just he didn't make it back to his club. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, he tells the speaker to go get in touch with Rose and the son that he never had a chance to meet after, of course, yeah, being in prison. So it's like it's like it's it's a melancholy love song, which you should have expected. It's Johnny Cash. It's gonna be melancholy. It's almost like you know, because the whole uh, we've had songs about wishing you could get out of prison, right? Or send a picture of mother. Oh, I'm not actually gonna get out because I I tried to escape. Sort of sort of melancholy vibes. But this one is like you finally did get let out and then it still went wrong it's still too late yeah a little bit of extra sad on sad it still kind of hit you with that surprise twist yeah it did and yeah and yeah i'll call it out closing rose is a bad rhyme it's a bad rhyme and it gets repeated a couple different times still i don't think that's enough to diminish the song in my opinion but we've had worse rhymes but we've yeah we've had worse but we've certainly had better we've definitely had now i know where you're about to go where i'm about to go is into i got stripes which is the back the back half of the album's version of of uh 25 minutes to go it really is yeah instead of counting down the time we're counting up the days and i'll tell you what i think i just like this weekly progression thing maybe that's a trope i can get into because we talked about it before on uh good charlotte's young and the hopeless the story of my old man monday he hated his wife and tuesday he did this and thursday he hated whatever so this is the same kind of thing monday i was arrested tuesday they locked me in the jail wednesday i went to trial monday i was arrested Uh uh-huh yeah 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 we get background vocals too very interesting yeah and again it's another it's probably like i know they he kind of repeated himself on uh just a couple songs earlier but this is the real kind of repetitive one he repeats himself a lot yeah he does i don't know what happens friday through sunday (laughs) i mean we can only imagine we can only guess no i haven't really critiqued anything on this album but that would have been fun if maybe you made first two rather than doing monday again if you did friday saturday sunday to complete the week they let him out on the weekend i bet yeah no I, i love that chorus though he's got stripes around his shoulders chains around his feet and the chains are about to drag him down. That's just that's just what it is. And again, it, it's a nice little breath of fresh air from all of the story sucking that's been happening on this album. Yeah. Now, have you heard the green, green grass of home before? Oh, no, have I? Probably. No, I mean, I don't know for sure. But the Green Green Grass of Home is another long-standing country music staple. It was written in 1965 by Curly Putman Jr. and popularized by Johnny Darrell and Porter Wagoner. Jerry Lee Lewis, Tom Jones, and more also covered the song before Cash sings it here. But since then, George Jones, Merle Haggard, Charlie Pride, Elvis Presley, Kenny Rogers, Bob Dylan, and dozens of others have taken a crack at the Green Green Grass of Home. And rightfully so. It's a well-written song. And just another masterpiece of storytelling in such a short space. The main character gets off the train, finally makes it home, sees all the familiar sights, and just has this sense of belonging, you know, being where he belongs, back at home. But we progress on through the song, and he slowly wakes up to these cold gray walls. Great, by the way, great color contrast. The green, green grass and the cold gray walls. Yeah. And he's dreaming. He's stuck in prison, slated for execution the next morning, and the final stinger, the absolute just cherry on top of this masterpiece of storytelling, is that he gets buried under his childhood oak tree, neath the green, green grass of home, like he dreamed about being in the very first verse. So good. It's just, it flips you all on your head by the time you get to that that final verse. It's just incredible. I love it. Green Green Grass of Home is one of the best country songs we've talked about. It's very good. Yeah. And the last song on this album, I have a bit to say about. It's a very interesting piece. Greystone Chapel. Now, 
as Johnny Cash himself introduces, this song was written by Glenn Shirley, an inmate in the prison, about the actual Greystone Chapel at Folsom. A prison minister got Cash the cassette tape of Shirley's recording the day before the show, and Cash and his band practiced all night to get it right. And he talks about, you know, I, I just sang this for the first time yesterday, I really hope we do it justice. Greystone Chapel was used to close out both performances that day. Shirley himself sat in the front row and had no idea Cash was going to play his song, didn't even realize that it had been passed his way. And and how did he react? <laughs> he was surprised, of course. But overall, it was a really positive experience for him in the short term. Uh, Shirley actually wrote a handful of other songs before his death in 1978, springboarded by the success of Cash's Greystone Chapel. The real Folsom Greystone Chapel was built in the 1890s out of hand-carved granite blocks that were hundreds of pounds each. They finished it in 1903, and boy, does it ever look foreboding. Yeah, although I do like the green I do like the green accents. Yeah, the green trim on the roof and stuff. Very cool. They used this chapel for religious gatherings, for movies, and even for events. Uh, for example, John Legend played there in 2015. Nice. Yeah, when they do an event, they just tell inmates that there's some concert, some special music event happening in the chapel not who or what it is due to security concerns and, and to me graystone chapel this song is exactly what this album and this performance is all about it's that one little moment of humanity and hope in spite of the circumstances that you're in being exceptionally bleak you know that's kind of what it is for these inmates they're they're getting this moment to just enjoy some music with johnny cash and he's getting a moment to be in here and perform and i mean what a what a bit of a live music interaction history no kidding i know right and of course we end this song with a big old jam session and a couple more prison announcements cash gets a thank you from the warden who gets a, a hearty boo from the inmates and he gets a memento from the prison to make him a part of the in group when he's out but that brings us into final spin yeah so that is the album that's johnny cash that's Folsom prison 16 classic tracks no doubt well they're not all classics but they're all uh, they're all they're all classics just some more classic than others they're all classics together like this so um as far as a playlist pick goes i wish i knew what your top two remember you only get two why wait why do i only get two? Oh gosh because you stole so many for barry manilow but i still get three well yeah you get your connor conorable mention converted yeah well i just i, I dropped the conorable mention i just take classic top three sure whatever it's semantics either way i wish i knew what your tops were so that i could appropriately pick a good song so i have to take Folsom prison blues for my pick because i don't know what you're gonna pick but Folsom prison blues needs to be on the playlist so that's my pick um as far as scores go it's a bit of a different album and again we've talked about this in recent old country music episodes it's tough to score an album like this because first of all it's live we haven't done a live album yet uh second of all it's kind of a product of its time in a lot of ways but you know uh that some way sometimes limits it in some categories but really boosts it in others so as without further ado you know scores the music on this album a lot of it's really good you know it's that classic country sound like you said some of it's really sing-alongable the waltz tempos and the the really interesting bass notes are really cool i think i'm giving music a 75 that's pretty low kind of but not really i mean that's pretty low for you. Mm. I I like if it's if it's not in the 80s, that's low for you. It's all relative. It's all relative. But I think 75 is a pretty good score for this album. It's not like uh, you're not gonna walk away from it singing along. You'll you'll pick up a handful of them: Folsom Prison Blues, The Green Green Grass of Home, Long Black Veil, Cocaine Blues. But you're gonna get you know the ones like uh, I Got Stripes or Send a Picture of Mother or Dirty Old Egg Sucking Dog. Those are gonna be quick to disappear from your memory. Lyrically, it's a lot stronger. Lyrics are are mostly just limited by how many of these songs are about prison. Well, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes it makes good sense. It's it's a concept album. It is of sorts, yeah. I think a lot of his lyrical choices again are, are super ahead of their time, but them being ahead of their time still puts them significantly behind our time. Are they? I mean, in a literal sense, yes. He tells a lot of really interesting stories, really captivating stories, but he tells them very simply, which I like, but that's going to affect the vibe more than it's going to affect the lyrics, I think. And for lyrics, I'm given a 79. Man, two 70s scores. And we spent so much of this talking about how good he was at running verses and sucking you in with his stories. Well, it's just, I love him. I love him. I, I do. And you didn't even give it an 80. He does a great job with it. Apparently not. It's only got 79. <laughs> we'll get there. Instruments in production, it's a live album. You know, it, it's got a certain live album feel to it, which I really enjoy. And they, they all play their instruments really, really well. It's just, I think you're, in terms of a production standpoint, you're a little limited by 
the technology you have available to record a live album in this place at this time. They play their instruments really great. I love it, I love it. Just from a production standpoint, mostly a 77. You see, you keep saying you love it, but you keep scoring it way below love it. This doesn't even feel like like-like levels. This feels just like like how many times have i said the score i give an album is not based on how much i like it fair enough yeah and the vibe i think is far and away the strongest part of this album it's an iconic record from an iconic man in an iconic place you're not going to find many albums like this one out there all these songs on account of them all being about prison and telling such awesome clairvoyant stories i think they all go together really well they're quick to listen to some of them clock in under two minutes long i mean you could just breeze through the 16 track album in no time flat and its historical significance is one of the strongest that we've talked about on on any album on this podcast i'm giving the vibe an 87 man you were like oh don't worry the vibe's gonna bring it back the vibe's gonna bring it back and it didn't even crack a 90 i really thought you were gonna be like 70 70 70 and then 90 to like satisfy me but then no you sorry no i didn't make my score to satisfy you tough luck bud well obviously not <laughs> the the bummer about it is that he did not write about half of these songs so he does not get the bonus point the overall score at the end of the day is a 78.8 and that puts it at number 408 408 out of like 500 but that bonus point would take him up into the 370s i don't care 370s way too low it's an iconic album it's an iconic album an iconic album that apparently sucks compared to every other album you've ranked oh no, that's not it, and you know it. It seems what, it's what your score is telling me. Uh-huh. You're saying four, over 400 other albums that you've ranked are better than this one. Yeah. Where would you put this album? Uh, well, I'll tell you where I'd put this album. I think this is a great album. The one th note you made that I do agree with is the re-listenability. As great as this album is, it's not something I'd immediately reach for, but every time a song from it would come up, I'd absolutely listen to it. It's not a skip album, you know? Uh, it's just not something that necessarily I'm reaching for right away. And so that will impact the score a little bit about where it gets placed. Because, you know, unlike you, a lot of my score is based off of re-listenability and what i like about it and so for i guess i should give you my playlist pick real fast yeah give me those top three and my top three gosh i'm all out of it i was so blown away by your by your low score that <laughs> it's not a low score it's a low score based out of all possible scores it's not low but out of all scores that exist on your spreadsheet is a low score again spreadsheets pretty heavily biased towards albums that i like or will enjoy anyway my top three in album order Folsom prison blues good choice 25 minutes to go yeah okay well we're skipping over cocaine blues yeah well and i'll explain why in a moment and flushed from the bathroom of your heart oh Okay, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> There's a reason I went with those three. You did Green Green Grass and Greystone Chapel. Well, first off, I don't know. I, I, I do have a honorable mention that's redacted, but I will say one that you would have expect you would have wanted in my top three is the redacted one. But the reason I went with 25 Minutes to Go and Flush from the Bathroom of Your Heart is because so much of this album is samey sounding, like I mentioned at the beginning. They're all great, right? Yeah, they are. And so, like, to try to pick any one of them out of that group of samey sounding ones was hard. And so... Feels exclusionary. Yeah, and so I went with the ones that kind of stood out for unique reasons. 25 Minutes to Go with that unique uh, lyrical structure. Okay. Flush from the Bathroom of Your Heart because it was such a breath of fresh air. And so I went with those two. Ironically, the song about poop is a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and so I went with those two to kind of, because they had highlights that were unique compared to all the other songs that, while great in their own regard, it was hard to distinguish between. Yeah, that's fair. That's why I went with the ones I went with. That's a really good idea. You know what? I think I'm going to do something crazy. Yeah? Uh, I'm going to go with Green Green Grass of Home for the playlist pick, even though it's not in my top three. It's not in your top three, no. Wow, okay. It's not in my top three, suspiciously. Maybe it would have been. Who's to say if uh, I hadn't been restricted? Restricted like you didn't do it to yourself. <laughs> this is another album that if I wasn't already restricted right now, I would have taken more than four. Rightfully so. I think as good, and I, I picked my top three for the, for the reasons I just outlined, but I think for a, a song I would want on the playlist for everybody else to listen to and to listen to whenever I have that playlist up, I'd rather have Green Green Grass. Smart choice. And so that's what I'm going to go with. A spin it first. A non-top three playlist pick. With all that said, my score for At Folsom Prison is going to be nine gushing ostrich kicks out of ten. Gushing ostrich kicks out of ten. What a what a distinct 
distinguishable, what what a highly coveted honor. And so, yeah, it's going to get a nine. And so, yeah, I'm putting it at a nine. And so it's going in my top, you know, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's going to be number 11 in my nines grouping. It'll be the 11th al- album to get a, a nine. Okay. It, wow, it's a nine from you. I'm I'm okay with it. I think that's that's right for you. And that's why I'm so shocked that of the 530 ranked, it's in the 400s. Uh, as to where it's going, I, again, as I mentioned, due to not be reaching for it as often, um, even though it's so iconic, it is going to go in at the bottom of my nines for that reason. Because things like Songs in the Key of Life, Rumors, you know, Plastic Hearts, of course, my picks, you know, things like Dua Lipa, my girl. Uh, they're all, I'm going to reach for those and think about them and sing those, you know, they're going to pop in my head way more than something off of this album. So it's going in bottom of the nines. All right. Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. Our first live album takes the bottom of the nines for you. Bottom 400 for you. (laughs) And a 78.8 for me. Almost an 80. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Spin It. We hope you love Johnny Cash. We hope you love your time being here. If you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Spin It Pod, on Instagram at Spin It Pod Official, and on the web at www.spinitpod.com. We're still looking for your singles episode suggestions. We are just two, two short episodes away from the singles episode, so please hurry those on in. I would say that next, when next week's episode comes out, the day it comes out is the last day for submissions, probably, because we'll have to then be ready to go. So you have till you you have a week from the day this episode came out. That's correct. And we're looking forward to seeing what singles you're sending us. Yeah, so May 13th, last day for submissions. And uh, you know what? With that, we will bid you adieu and good night. And uh, don't let the Afana Pelma Johnny Cashy bite. <laughs> and keep spinning. Keep spinning. That was great. That one came out of nowhere. <laughs> Thank you. I was looking at it up on my screen, and I was like, I'm going gonna, gonna to work it in there. I don't have a good way to end it. I think us just talking about you don't want to bite we start fading out on that. What if we start fading out on you, Sand? We start fading out on that. <laughs> anyway, I'm stopping moving. Fine, me too. <laughs> <laughs>